Well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to Grace, first service here. Well, as we're going through the, uh, the people's king, and then we got to the shadow king, which is uh, Saul. God had intended all along to give them a king, but the people wanted what they wanted. They wanted a king. They wanted a tall king. They wanted a big, tall, handsome king, and Teresa done such a wonderful job last week telling this story about how Samuel uh, is told, the prophet Samuel is told to go down to, uh, and he, that God is going to anoint his king. The people had their king, which was King Saul. They wanted a tall king. They wanted a king that would go into battle for them and fight their battles for them, <clears throat> like God had not been already fighting their battles all this time for them, but they wanted their king. Uh, you ever got a prayer answered that you insisted that it be answered and later you wished you had just left it up to God? <laughs> you know, there's a song out about this uh, guy. You know, he thanked God for unanswered prayers. Because there's this high school girl that he really, 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 really wanted. And then one day he saw her. She's working at a, a breakfast diner. And he realizes that if he would have got his prayer answered, that would have been his. And he thanked God for unanswered prayer. How many of you have ever had an, uh, a prayer that God didn't answer at the time and it was devastating to you? But in the long run, you realize God was wise not to give you that answer to your prayer. Raise your hand. Look at the hands around you. So we're kind of admitting and acknowledging that God knows best. He does. He knows best. And um, so he's kind of a shadow king. He's not the real deal. And so he says, I want you to go back down, and I'm going to lead you. It's amazing how the prophets just obey God. I mean, like, you're going to go down there, and you go to this guy's name's house, his, you know, Jesse's house. And there you're going to look at his sons, and I'll, I'll let you know which one is it. And so here the prophet comes down there. And he goes, well, this is not a great ideal because we've already got a king. And if he hears when I come into town, because, see, the possession thing was that the prophet would always install the next king. You know, you see some of the old, uh, old movies from uh, uh, the king's... Even King Charles, you know, they go to the church and the, the, the minister does all this and he's saying that King Charles, and then he'll say it's okay for King Charles to be the king of England. And you know how they, they, you see that in these old movies. First they went to the church and then after that they'd had the coronation service. And this is the way it was then. If they was going to have a king, God wanted it to go through his prophet. And so that's the way it was. And so... If Samuel was coming down there, he said, they're going to they're gonna know what I'm up to. He said, well, I tell you what, take a, a, a cow with you, and you're going to take it down there, and you just say you're going to be there to offer a sacrifice. So they went down, and while there was a sacrifice being offered, Samuel was in a room looking at Jesse's sons, and he had, you know, seven sons represented and and he goes none of these are it and Teresa talked about how tall and how handsome he was and they went through that list and they finally said Where, you got any more he said well I got one little my younger son he's out taking care of sheep well go get him and they bring David in David probably didn't even know what was happening to him I don't know if his brothers really understood what was happening. There wasn't a whole lot said, but he took and he poured the oil onto David. I want you to get this when God chooses us, we don't, you know, we don't choose him. Really, we don't. And so, you know, the prophet Samuel pours the oil onto David, and the Bible says from that moment on, the Spirit of God was upon him. The Spirit of God, I don't want you to ever forget, the Spirit of God was upon him. And he started doing amazing things. He probably didn't even know he was doing amazing things. 
It's an amazing story. But first, he's recognized by the Spirit. You know, and this is very similar to Jesus. Jesus came. The guy named John the Baptist said, uh, he's a prophet. Uh, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he recognizes Jesus as not just a Lamb of God. He recognized him as the Lamb of God. And he went down into the water and he was baptized. And when he was baptized, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in the, in, in the sh- shape of a dove. And there was a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. So there's the, the special anointing upon him. And then it said the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. You ever heard the country song? I guess I like a few country songs. <laughs> you ever heard the country song where the guy's, the father takes his daughter fishing, and he said, she thinks we're just fishing. But he's spending the day talking to his daughter and getting some things into her head and into her heart. He wants her to know. She thinks we're just fishing. Well, today in this sermon, you're going to think we're talking just about David and Goliath. Probably the most familiar story in the entire Bible. Most of you could quote most of the story, maybe not per, but you know this story. So I don't know how much of the reading I'll do, but I want to talk today about how your faith can grow in difficult circumstances. And I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll read until I just feel like you can stand all you got, you know. David and Goliath is 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. And I want you to remember, we're not just talking about David and Goliath. There's there's a bigger picture here. In verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soku, which belongs to Judah. Everybody say belongs. It belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Ezekiel in the Ephes Damon, and Saul, the men of Israel, were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up a battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So they're on a, a very steep Place. And there's a very good reason. There's a great strategy of battle here. The Philistines were known for their iron and for their chariots. Well, if you're going to pick that place as the battlefield, it's great because it doesn't work for chariots. And so there was a great valley between them. And then in verse 4, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and the iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer, that his, just the little head on his, uh, on his sword weighed 15 pounds. So you can imagine how big it is. And the shield bearer went before them, and then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said, why have you come out and lined up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose you a man for yourselves. Well, normally, you know, they already chose a man that's supposed to go do their battles for them. That's Saul. But Saul, we're finding out, he's not a man. He's a coward. Choose you a man for yourself and let him come down to me. And you think about, they said Saul's head and shoulders above every other man in the armor. So if, you go, if they got a big tall guy, you'd see that Israel would send their big tall guy, Saul, but he wouldn't go. Let him come down to me if he is able to fight with me and, and kill me. Then we will be your servants But if you prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. 
Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was a son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advancing his years. In the days of Saul, the three oldest sons, Jesse, had gone to follow the Saul in battle. The names of these three sons who went in battle was Eleb, the firstborn, Abinadad, and Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest had followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed the father's sheep of Bethlehem. So David was actually being in the service of Saul, but he was, uh, he was spirit-filled, he was anointed, and Saul had a trouble with uh, evil spirits. And so David was a worshiper, he worshiped God, and when David played uh, his, like a, uh, his harp type, uh, he, when he played it, it said that evil spirits would cease from Saul's mind. They would go away. So David had this anointing about him. Ever been uh, just kind of bombarded by negative thoughts and negative feelings and you turn on a good worship song and you just feel like it go away? There's power in worship. There really is a lot of power in worship. Well, David had this ability and Saul knew this. Saul probably didn't care who he was. Get the little boy that plays the harp and plays some music for me because when he plays that music, it makes me feel all better. And so he didn't really pay much attention to him, but he just knew that what he did worked. And so David kind of done that uh, for Saul when he needed him. Other than that, he was always taking care of his father's sheep. And so the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And what he was doing, this big old giant, uh, this champion of the Philistines would get there and curse Israel's God for everything they're worth. It was like a big trash-talking ceremony where he just talked trash, you bunch of cowards, you bunch of chickens, you know, your God is nothing, you don't trust in your God. He just put them down for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is a term of testing. Jesus was led in the wilderness for testing. The Philistines drew near to present himself 40 days and 40 nights. Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephod of dried grain and these ten loaves and run your brothers, run it to your brothers at camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands and see how the brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and, and they all, the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Really wasn't fighting, they were yelling back and forth. So David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp, the army going out to fight and shouted for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up a battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came to, the greeting, to greet his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was, a, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of Philistines and spoke according to the, the same words. So David heard them and all the men of Israel. And when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches, will give him a daughter and give him a father and a house, uh, house exemption from the taxes of Israel. Then David spoke to the man and stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of, of the living God? And when the people answered him in the manner, saying, "Who shall, who shall be? So shall it be done for the man who kills him?" Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke this to the man, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He said, "Why did you come down here?" 
And with whom did you leave your few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? You ever get the feeling that David was passed over? You know, his dad didn't even, when they were going to choose a, a king, his dad didn't even put him in the, in the group. And, you know, oh, he said, why, why didn't you bring that son? Well, he's out taking care of the sheep. Well, we know that David also had a helper to help take care of sheep. Because when he went out to the battle, they had a helper stay there with the sheep. But his father never even counted David in. Ever feel like you, you've been left out of the promotion? That somehow or another God's forgotten you? Or, or you've been overlooked? That all your life you've been overlooked? Or you've been the, you may say, well, I'm the black sheep of the family. And, and you know, you kind of feel that way. That's the way David had to have felt. And he he. His brethren, uh, you know, what have I done now? You know, all, evidently all the time he'd done something wrong in the eyes of his brethren. And David said, is there not a cause? Then he turned him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke was heard, they reported them back to Saul, and he sent for them. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able. So even Saul does not think David's able to fight this fight. And you're but a youth, and, the, and he's a man of war, and he's been a man of war since his youth. He's been trained to be a man of war. He's a giant. You know, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion or the bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered it. The lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be, the, be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go ahead, may the Lord be with you. I think he said that in like a real smart way. <laughs> Good luck, bud. May the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and put bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened you know, fastened his sword, his armor, and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. David said, I can't wear this. I've never tested this. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So he took the staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag and in a pouch he had. And his sling was in his hand and drew near to Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about, saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy, ruddy uh, reddish face, you know, good looking. So the Philistine said to David, I, Am I a dog that you come to me with these sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by all his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and I with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp to the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines and to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts and the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord God does not save with a sword or a spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. So it was the Philistines arose and came and drew near to David. And David hurled and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. And then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. So the stone sank in his forehead and he fell face down to this earth. This is an amazing story, you've got to admit. It's kind of exciting, right? You know, he's a hero. And, you know, 
if you were reading this story, which, which, uh, which character do you want to be? It's like we all want to be the, the David, you know. We want to be the David. We want to be the guy that, you know, against all odds, he, he went up against this giant and, and he took him on and he won the battle. But I have to tell you that probably if I was there, I would be one of the men standing on the side. Because this giant is he's nobody to mess with. This is a huge giant, and he's been learning war since he was a youth. And I think this story is a bigger story. See, we went through from Genesis all the way up here to 1 Samuel. And God said back in Deuteronomy, he's going to give them a king. Well, they wanted a king before their time. They wasn't patient. They wouldn't wait on God. God said, you can pick a king. <laughs> I hope you like what you get. They, 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 they picked a king that wouldn't fight for them. They picked a king that would take their sons into service, but he was a coward himself. He would send them in battle, but he would stay back. That's no king. That's no that's no champion. That's no fighter. I don't care if he has a heads and shoulders above everybody else. And God says, now that David is ready, I'm going to give you a king after my own heart. You know, we can pray and we can, uh, we can insist and we can say, God, in the name of Jesus, you, you know, you've got to give me this because I'm a child of God and you can demand God all you want. And you may even get God to give you what you want. But I promise you, when you get what you want, it's not what you really wanted. But a few times in my life, I insisted. And how I wished I'd had those prayers back. And day, every day now, I just want to pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We learn from David's life, this is David's big coming out party right here. David's biggest battle is fixing to change his life totally. If David could see the outcome of this battle, David would have never picked this battle, which he really didn't pick it anyway. The Lord picked it for him. David used to just go out every day and take care of sheep. How hard can that be? Unless you've raised sheep, right? But David used to go out and he'd just take care of his sheep and he'd play his harp and he would sing and, you know, he would feed them and lead them down by the, the, the you know, the river and he would watch them and how, how comforting that must be. He was a shepherd. And then one day, a lion tried to get one of his sheep and had the sheep in his mouth and David went and fought that lion and killed him. Then another time it was a bear. David just thought, well, that's shepherd stuff. I'm just doing shepherd stuff. Nope. It wasn't just shepherd stuff. God was preparing David for something bigger. He was preparing something far better, far bigger for David. After David kills Goliath, his whole life's going to change. There's going to be people singing his songs. They're going to be singing a song about Saul killed his thousand, but David killed his thin ten thousands. The David that could fight the giant that day led of the Lord and led by the Spirit of the Lord is fixing to be running for his life hiding in caves. You can be a hero one day and you'll feel like a zero the next. You may be able to whip a giant if the Spirit's upon you. But the next day you may be running for your life. David from this point in the Bible on, just about the entire rest of the story is about David and a kingdom that's going to come out of David's life. And we find that there's going to be the son of David. You get to Matthew's writing, Matthew the, in Matthew's writing the first chapter. In the very first chapter of Matthew, you're going to find that it says... Matthew can't wait to get to it because Matthew's talking about the genealogy of Jesus Christ and he's trying to prove that Jesus is the king. The king of who? And Matthew 1 said, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Do you realize that Matthew starts off the New Testament telling us that Jesus is David's son? David's son. So David is our first picture of 
a godly king, and there's going to be generations after that, and then there's going to be a child born that Herod's going to want to kill because they're saying he's going to be the king of the Jews. And David's going to get this name about him. David's going to be hated the rest of his life. Everything, you know, the most comforting book in the Bible is known to be Psalms. Why is it that Psalms is one of the most comforting books in the Bible? Because David wrote most of the book of Psalms. David goes through some hell on earth, just to be frank with you. David says some words in Psalms that Jesus says on the cross. David coins the phrase, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So David felt that way. See, this is a type and shadow. David is a type of the king that is coming. We go down just a few more verses in Matthew there, and it says here in the uh, seventh, the, the end of the sixth verse, David, the king, begot Solomon. I want you to know Solomon was a king, but in all the references hereafter, they call David the king. When we get through, when we start with David, the rest of the Bible is going to be about David until he gets to kings. You're going to have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. You're going to have one kingdom that's got the anointing, one kingdom that don't have the anointing. And David, you know, and look at the parallel here. David was hated by, Jesus was hated by his own brothers. Jesus' brothers kind of despised him. It would be hard, though. It would be hard being Jesus' brother, right? <laughs> okay, Jesus, you can walk on water. Okay, all right. <laughs> It'd be a tough, tough to follow, follow Jesus. And David, as a young boy, was introduced to a role that he would have probably never chose if he would have been doing the choosing. He had just soon been a shepherd. Jesus come to be our shepherd. The Bible tells us, John said, he's our good shepherd. David was a shepherd, Jesus was a shepherd. David was a king, Jesus was a king. David was despised by his brethren, Jesus was despised by his brethren. Jesus came to his own, his own would not receive him. David was baptized and anointed by God and called, he said, this is my son and my well, please. Do you know when David was anointed? But you know when David actually started that main battle, that ministry that launched him, David was like, they said he was probably 30 years old. He was a small stature, but he's probably about 30 years old, they said. This story about David and Goliath, it's a great story. Now, if we had had a list of all the other giants David fought, they said he got five stones because Goliath had four other brothers, and if any of the brothers wanted to take him on, David's going to take all four, all, all of them on. It's kind of neat that they would meet in the valley. There was a mountain on that side and a mountain on this side. That's great strategy because whoever decided to make the first move, come on over here, buddy. Come on, we'll fight. Bring it on. Bring it on. You coward. You come on, bring it. Because whoever couldn't take the 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 trash talk anymore and started coming up the mountain, you're going to fight going uphill all the way. It's a great advantage. Great advantage for somebody to be fighting you coming up the hill. Another thing that you don't see very often and you don't find it, I don't know that you find it another place in Scripture, this ideal that, okay, they've got a giant of a man over here called Goliath, and on this other side, the God of Israel, and you've got David. So it's one man against one man. It's one man there fighting one man here. They're going to go down and they're going to fight. And whoever wins that battle, their 
their side is going to win the victory. I like when I go to the University of Tennessee game, you know. I'm there and I'm cheering. I was there when, that, when Tennessee beat Alabama. When it's over, I'm jumping up and down and yelling and screaming. And you would have thought that I was on the field playing that game. Because <laughs> when they won, I won. Well, that's what kind of battle was going on right here. It was decided that whoever wins this battle, your side won the battle. That valley there, the valley of the champion, champion has the ideal that this person then is going to be a mediator. I remember somebody else as a mediator. Jesus is a mediator. So, folks, this whole story, you could follow this story all the way through, follow the, the sayings from the cross. David is a type of Jesus. David is just shadowing. You know, you're starting to see pictures of what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to look like. And you find that one day, did you know that in the, in the book of Revelation, there's going to be another time where the devil is going to be there and it's going to be amade, amade. It's going to be one man against one man. It's going to be Jesus against Satan. There are some other very interesting things about Goliath. Did you notice that how many times the number six is used, in, used with Goliath? It talks about, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, it, his armor, and it talks about six, and it's 600. And it talks about, the other thing about him, that's the number of man. The enemy, when he comes in the last days, he'll have a mark, 666. The other thing about this beast called Goliath, I don't know if you knew this, he had six toes and six fingers. A lot of people believe, and it used to be taught in, in, in seminaries, they really believe that this probably was a, uh, uh, because they were giants uh, in the land and that these giants all had something in common. They all had six fingers and six toes on each hand. And a lot of people believe that when the angels were cast out of heaven, that's demonic, that they somehow or another inbred with man, and they made this giant beast. So uh, even when you think about Dagon, their god, he's what? He's half a man. He's half a skelly-looking fish beast-looking thing. Actually, some people believe that it was Goliath that went and took the Ark of the Covenant, and he's the one that took the Ark of the Covenant, took it up to there where they kept their gods, Dagon God, and made the Ark of the Covenant subservient to Dagon. And you remember what happened the next morning when they woke up, Dagon had fell over on his face. And so they set him back up. When your God can't stay upright, <laughs> you need to get another God. And so that they set him back up, and the next day he fell over in his arms and his head fell off. Might have been a sign to Goliath, if you don't quit defying the Lord God Almighty, you may find your head's going to come off. And so this beast that's, uh, I mean, it's just uncommon. You start reading about the sixes and the six fingers and the six toes. That this, I think he represents the end time satanic Satan that's going to you find in the book of Revelation. And I believe that Jesus is going to go down and it's going to be the final battle. Why the final battle? Because the last and final battle that has to be fought is the death, the final battle for death. Death. You know, God won. We don't have to fear death anymore because even if we die, we'll be resurrected, right? We may die and our loved ones may die, but they, we don't we don't die without hope. We have hope. And yet, uh, we will live again. But there's coming a day when that final battle... See, as long as there's sin, there'll be death because uh, death is a... Uh, it's, it, it comes because sin. The wage of sin is death. So when sin is totally done away with, death will be totally done away with, there'll be nobody ever die again. 
That's going to be the final war. And guess who's going to fight that war? Jesus is going to fight that against Satan. And guess what? This is a picture of what's going to happen in the end. And so it didn't matter. You know, I think about it. Jesus is going to go down in the last days. He's King David, the foreshadow of what is going to happen. David's going to walk out there and mount. You're defying the God of Israel. You're defying the God of gods, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not going to be done anymore. And David's going to thoroughly whip David, King David, Jesus is going to thoroughly whip Satan and Satan is going to be cast down and we're going to know that from that point all the followers of Satan are going to get out on one knee and they're going to say Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible said eventually every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So here's the thing. I know the giants look big in this world, and you may be following a lie today, a giant today, but I want you to know something. In the end, that's not going to be a good one to follow because if you read the back of the book, Jesus wins. You could go on and on about the symbolism and the comparisons of, Je of David with Jesus. I don't have time today. But here's the thing that I, I got out of this message one thing is, David bases his present faith on his past victories. He killed a lion, he killed a bear. What was God doing with David when he faced the lion and the bear? He didn't know it, but God was preparing him. David probably didn't like facing a giant or facing a bear. Some of you are facing giants and bears in your own life. And you may, you may go, God, take this lion uh, trial away from me. Take this bear trial away from me. I don't like it. I don't like to be tested like this. But what God is trying to let you know is there may be a giant in your path. He's getting you ready to slew the giant in your path in the future. So David based the way he gained faith, 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 faith. Uh, Forsaking all, I trust him. David learned to forsake all and trust God. He said, the God that helped me kill the bear and the God that helped me kill the lion is the same God that's going to help me kill Goliath. He will no longer defy the God of Israel. Why did David choose a stone? I believe that God raised David up to learn how to use a sling because in the Old Testament, it tells us when someone, when they defy God, when they blaspheme God, they were to be taken outside the camp and they were to be stoned. So God raised up a guy that could stone the giant David. I'm telling you, the world can say all they want about God and all they want about the Bible, but I'm going to tell you, in the end, God wins. God wins. And if you're on his side, when he wins, you win. When he wins, you win. And when he wins, it's going to take care of all your sins because we're none perfect. David had a lot of problems after that. David fell with Bathsheba. David had, you know, all kind of things happened to him. He, he, there were times that David was led by the Spirit, and he looked and gave us a lot of examples and gave us a lot of pictures of Jesus in the future. And there's times that David did. There's sometimes, you know, you, you look at some of us, and sometimes we kind of look a little godly sometimes, and sometimes we don't. We don't. And so David bases, David gains, David's faith is developed through little battles. But the next battle will be a little bigger. And you know, you'll never get through with battles. As long as you live on this earth, you're going to have battles. You're going to have tests. The next thing, if we never had a problem, we would never know God could solve them. How are we going to get faith? How are we going to know God can do something if we never go through anything where God does something? You probably want to start asking God to heal a headache before you want him to start giving you faith to heal a cancer. But do we take everything to God in prayer? I, I prayed about this. I said, God, there's more to this story. What are you trying to tell me? And here, God, I really feel like I went back to Psalms and read a lot of the stuff. You can read a lot of great things from the Psalms that David wrote, and it'll tell you how David made it through all his battles. He worshiped God. Another thing in Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. In all your ways, in all your ways acknowledge him. 
I got a feeling that somewhere along the line, we quit doing that. We quit doing that. And we think about this. We, as, uh, not me and you probably, but for our world, we won't even acknowledge God as the creator anymore. Did you know, you? well, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord. That'll never work. Because if you can make Jesus your Lord, then you're his Lord. You can't make Jesus Lord. He's either already Lord. You can't make Jesus anything. You can't make Jesus your king. He's already king. Before you ever get saved, he is already your king. He's already your Lord. He's already your creator. He's already your shepherd. He's already all of that. You can't make him anything whether you believe it or not. The Bible says, you know, uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. No, if God said it, that settles it, whether you ever believe it or not. What God is saying, he's saying, I've left you, I've left you all kind of examples here. All I'm asking you is to step up the plate and acknowledge these things to be the truth. Can we as a people acknowledge that God is our creator? If we can't, so if we can't, well, I believe God created the entire world. I don't understand it. I'm, his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. But if he says he created everything, I acknowledge God is my creator. I believe he created me. And I believe that God created me and I'm wonderfully and fearfully made by the hands of God. And I believe that in the mother's womb, God is already calling people in the ministry like he did Jeremiah in his mother's womb. Who do we have a right to end his life? God, as our creator, he has the right to declare our gender. He said, male and female have I made them. You don't get a choice on that unless you're not acknowledging God, period. You say, well, I identify as... You don't have a choice on what you identify as. God created you. He owns you. He bought you with a price. We belong to Him. We need to identify as we're one of God's children, one of His creation. We need to acknowledge Him. I've been asking every day. I've been praying the Lord's Prayer for probably a year and a half, two years now. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. You know what? We need that every day. Jesus is our daily bread. How often did they have to gather bread in the Old Testament? Every day. How how often do you need to ask God to forgive your trespasses because you're going to trespass every day? God, I want to forgive people that trespass against me because I probably trespass too. Acknowledge God. Can we acknowledge God as our healer? God, I'm going to acknowledge you as my healer. I may not get healed today, but you're still my healer. I love Hebrews 11th chapter. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, God, I just don't see it. No, you're not going to see it because God's doing things that you can't see. God's working when you don't even know it. God's working when you're asleep. God's working when you're fighting little battles and you're wondering and halfway cursing God for the little battles you've got. God's just getting you ready for a bigger, bigger battle. You don't see it. I don't see it. But God sees it. God knows what he's doing. God says you're going to live in this life and you, in a few days you're going to start having trouble because this world is a fallen world. Some people go, well, if God created me this way, that's the way I am. No, God didn't create you that way. When man fail, all of us after that, we are not created perfectly in God's image. We're in a scarred, depraved being. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. What you need to identify by as, you need to realize King David went and he died on the cross for you and I to save us. And you need to identify as a born again Christian. And if you, are, if you identify as a born again Christian, 
then he will make you a new creation. And so whatever bent, perverted, weird concept of mind or thought you've got yourself into because of sin, when you get born again, he's going to recreate you. And finally, for the first time, are you going to be created in the image of God? It's going to be a process. But I just think, how hard is it to acknowledge God? Acknowledge everything about God. I don't make him king. He's already king. I don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. All I got to do is acknowledge. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's everything. And you know, but if I never had a problem, I'd never know God to solve them. Faith grows when it's tested. Your faith will be tested. I, you know, I'm not going to tell you that this week you're not going to have some troubles. You probably have some troubles this week. But it's because David, because God loves you. Saul's armor was not tested, so David did not have faith in it. You know what you're going to have faith in? Is you're going to have faith in those battles that you have been through. If you went through a battle, David felt confident. He'd already used that sling many times. And he had confidence because he had to go through that. He went through it. And God was with him. As you go through things in your life, you're going to get where you're not afraid of that thing anymore. Because you've already been through it. Been through it. We've been through what we've been through to help others go through what they're going through. And so it's perspective. It's all about perspective. Israel compared the giant to themselves. David compared the giant to God. David felt like he's too big to miss. He compared the giant to God. That giant is no match for my God. Do you think our government is any match for the Almighty God? Do you think world governments are any match for God? Do you think anything that's going on in this world, why should we watch the news and bite our fingernails as if God is not on the throne? God is almighty. He knows the end from the beginning. And if you read the end of the book, he's going to go and fight in a valley for us and the enemy is going to fall like Goliath fell. So I'm telling you, it said in the very beginning of the book that Judah belonged to Israel. What you need to do is say, God, that's my daughter, or that's my son, and they belong to you. I dedicated them to you when they were a child. And God, I want you to get the devil to back off of my children because they belong to God. I ain't putting up with it no more. As a parent, I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus and declare God Almighty's in charge. We got a chance to go to Italy, and it was amazing. And we got to go where they... Uh, they go in and they get this stone that uh, we actually got to go to this mining area where they, they actually got the stone where David, the great uh, statue of David was carved out of. But it's an interesting story. They got this huge stone and it's very difficult for them to get it out of there and get it down. They took it to Florence and this big stone. Raphael and others went by and they, oh, that stone's got so many flaws in it. Yeah, I can't do that. Another great sculpture went by. No, that's... One day, Michelangelo was in Florence, and he saw that big block of stone. He's looking at it, and he goes, yeah, it's got a lot of flaws in it. Got a lot of cracks in it. But he said, there's an angel in there, and I'm fixing to set him free. And he began to chisel away, and now there's a beautiful statue of David. And the amazing thing about it, David is not like five foot three statue. Michelangelo, he goes, hey, stone's that big, make David that big. If you go see David, David's like 30 feet tall. I love that because David was a little boy, but he's seen around the world as a giant. He's a giant statue, the giant statue of David. There's a city named after him, the city of David. Our king, our Lord in Jesus Christ, he's the son of David. Amen. Jesus has this little discourse with uh, the Pharisees. If, if I'm the son, then why did David call me Lord? <laughs> the Pharisees are like, bam, what? 
what, 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 I don't know what to say. Maybe he's the Messiah then. God has an amazing way to make things work out. It worked out. It, he picked David. He knew David was going to mess up a bunch of times. God understands we're going to mess up with him. You know what David was good at? David was good at repenting. How many was old enough to remember when Jimmy Swaggart stood on a stage in front of national TV and he's crying and it's falling all over his clothes and he's going, I have sinned against heaven and earth. You know where he got that prayer from? He got that prayer from Psalms. It was David's prayer. And when David was praying to God and said, God, I sinned against heaven and earth. I don't deserve you, God, but I need you. I need you, God. I've failed you miserably, God. You can take everything I've ever had away from me, but don't take your spirit away from me. David realized he was nothing without the spirit of the almighty God. There's one greater than Michelangelo. He's carving something beautiful out of your life. Don't miss it. Don't miss out as God chisels things out of your life. But don't hold on to those things that he's working on. Say, God, here am I. Here am I, God. Just chisel it all out, God. God, when you get through, I don't want there to be nothing in me that looks like me anymore. God, I just want to look like you. How many would today would stand and say, I acknowledge God as my creator. He's the, he's the author and he's the finisher of my faith. And I claim my children for, the, for God to this day. Yeah. If you will, stand up. Amen. I acknowledge him as my God. I acknowledge him as my Lord. I acknowledge him as my king. I don't make him Lord. I don't make him king. I don't make him God. I acknowledge that he already is. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on out, team. Dear Heavenly Father, just like you give David the faith to slew the giant in his path, God, as we face battles every day, battles where the enemy's trying to steal our kids, they're trying to destroy our kids. They're trying to brainwash our kids. They're trying to distort their minds. They're trying to lie to them. God, we rebuke these lying, devilish, demonic spirits in the name of Jesus, and we declare they are our kids. They were born to us by God. Our kids are a gift from God, and we claim them for God. They belong to us. And we will not, God, through your help and through your anointing and through your spirit, we will not let the enemy take our children and our grandchildren. God, we open ourselves. Will you open yourself to the chiseling of God that he will chisel away in your life everything that's not supposed to be there? Because God sees an angel inside of you and he's trying to get to it. Will you obey him? Will you open yourself up to him? In Jesus' name.